and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by American Jewish Committee. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines to help you understand what they all mean for America, Israel, and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Manya Brashear-Pashman. Last month, we asked you, our listeners, to share what makes you proud to be Jewish. I was so moved by your answers that I posed that question to participants again at AJC Global Forum 2022. I also asked them if there was a particular speaker or topic covered that made them even more proud and inspired them. Here's what some people had to say in our occasional segment we like to call Manya on the Street. What makes me proud to be Jewish? AJC makes me proud to be Jewish. Seeing all of my colleagues here and the incredible work that they do and that we all do throughout the year is so inspiring and makes me very proud. The feeling that like Judaism connects you to this big group of people that you share something so important in common and there's like a natural like vibe as we would say. You get to be together in Hillel and Chabad and different places. I really liked the first session when they were talking about kind of college campuses, cancel culture, freedom of speech. It felt very relevant to me. I was just recently in Morocco and Israel on an access mission, and the sentiments that were expressed on stage were the same sentiments that we saw on the ground. I'm a college student myself, and I think that navigating the Israel-Palestine issue is a really big topic on college campuses. Um, And I was curious to hear what they were thinking, what they had to say, and what panelists were thinking, as well as generational divide, because I think that, I mean, I personally believe in a two-state solution, but I think there are different ways to go about it. And I wanted to hear about those differences and also learn what I could do to advocate for other people, especially at my college campus. There was a range. People from the United States had experienced BDS on campus and some anti-Semitism. The experience for European students, as best I heard it as an American, was much more severe and it was systemic in a way it doesn't exist in the United States, and that the European Jewish students actually seemed almost better organized than the Americans because of the extent of the threats. In yesterday's plenary, we had April Powers in a panel on anti-Semitism, and she described her experience as a Black Jewish woman who made a statement condemning anti-Semitism and received so much backlash, was called a white supremacist, and she spoke about the importance of even though that might hurt and be really hard, that Jews should not get up and leave the table because we need to be at that table to advocate for ourselves in progressive spaces because if we're not at that table, we don't know what's being said and we can't represent ourselves and show how diverse the Jewish community is. Even when you have the tough conversations, you can have them with respect and you can have them in a way that comes with productivity. One of the most entertaining and enlightening moments for me every year at Global Forum is the great debate, and this year's signature event did not disappoint. My colleague Laura Shaw Frank moderated this year's debate between New York Times columnist Brett Stevens and American University historian Pamela Nadell over whether the golden age of American Jewry is over. Here are some highlights. Good morning and welcome. I am thrilled to be here with all of you this morning for AJC's signature Global Forum session, The Great Debate. This year, our topic is one that cuts to the core of our worries and fears 
as well as our hopes and dreams for the Jewish community in this country. Our panelists will be debating the question, is the golden age of American Jewry over? The debate's central question asks us to consider the health and well-being of the American Jewish community in 2022. The 20th century saw enormous political and social gains for American Jews, with our community's remarkable mainstreaming into the fabric and fiber of American life. Indeed, many might say that American Jews helped define that fabric and fiber. Is our community now on the wane? Are we irrevocably divided, less Jewishly identified, and no longer able to effectively flex our political, cultural, and social muscle? Or is our community adapting and changing to be able to meet the challenges that we face in these complicated times? We are privileged to be joined this morning by two esteemed thinkers and observers of the American Jewish community to debate this question. Dr. Pamela Nadell, Director of Jewish Studies and Patrick Clendenin Chair in Women's and Gender History at American University in Washington, D.C., and Brett Stevens, op-ed columnist at the New York Times and editor-in-chief of Sapir, a journal of Jewish conversations. Let's welcome our speakers. We're going to begin our debate by asking each speaker to offer an opening statement of up to two minutes. We will then allow up to two minutes of rebuttals, after which I will pose a series of questions to the debaters who will have up to two minutes to respond. We will conclude with one-minute summations by each debater. Based on a coin toss that we did in the green room, <laughs> we're going to begin with Pam. It is such an honor to be here at the Global Forum's Great Debate with Brett Stevens, with Dr. Laura Shaw-Frank, and I really want to thank David Harris for this provocative question. Golden ages tend to appear in retrospect when our own moment in time propels us to long for some kind of idyllic past. It was 19th century Jews, disappointed by the roadblocks that they faced, like the Dreyfus Affair, who glommed onto the idea of a golden age of Jews in the medieval Muslim world. Our golden age dates to after World War II as American Jews in the wake of the greatest disaster in all of Jewish history ascended to unimaginable heights. Stunningly, Judaism, the faith of just 3% of the population of the United States became one of the triumvirate of America's major faiths. Post-war prosperity propelled a synagogue building boom as the last descendants of the East European Jews climbed into the middle class. Anti-Semitism even seemed to decline when Gregory Peck, in Gentleman's Agreement, made it unfashionable on the silver screen. That era launched our golden age. And as this forum demonstrates with a thousand of you in this audience, the signs of its vitality have not abated. The extraordinary energy of American Jewry is manifest in more than 9,500 Jewish communal organizations. Our population has grown 12% between 2013 and 2020. Then there is American Jewry's continuing religious vitality. In 1957, sociologist Nathan Glazer said of orthodoxy, there is little to say other than that it has survived, barely. No one would say that today. 
But most importantly, this month, as we mark the jubilee of women's ordination that brought thousands of women into our leadership and our community, there is no way that this golden age is over now that one half of the American Jewish people who had been written out of history are now making it. Brett, we turn to you. Well, the first thing I want to say is I hope I lose this debate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pessimist by nature,、uh, which means I'm Jewish despite my last name.、Um, 100 years ago, in June of 1922, the most important man in Germany was a Jew, Walter Rattenauer. 100 years ago in Germany, The winner of the Nobel Prize in Medicine, Otto Meyerhoff, was a Jew. 100 years ago in Germany, the most important philosopher of the German Academy, in fact, the most important philosopher of all of Europe, Edmund Husserl, was a Jew. Now, why do I mention this? Not to say that we are destined to move along the same trajectory. I say this because the history of the Jewish people in its diaspora has been a history of darkness at noon. At our zenith, we reached our precipice. And that is what I fear we may be confronting here in the United States today. What are the conditions in which Jewish life in alien civilizations has declined? Or has collapsed. There are four central points. One of them is when the politics of envy and resentment become the dominant strain of politics on either end of the political spectrum. The second is when ideologies of race become increasingly central to the ways in which the outside world, the non-Jewish world, perceives. Human distinction, and sometimes perceives the Jews. The third is when habits of independence of mind, skepticism, activism, irreverence, irony, questioning, second guessing, are treated as heresies, not as vital contributions to a progressive civilization. And the final one is when conspiracy thinking. Goes mainstream. In Germany in the 1920s, there was a conspiracy theory known as the stab in the back theory, which ultimately led to deadly consequences for the Jews. Today in America, we live in a land in which seemingly sane people think that 9/11 was an inside job, that Barack Obama was born in Kenya, that the election of 2020 was stolen from the incumbent president. When people will believe anything about anything, they will believe anything about the Jews, and that is what worries me today. Most of us in this room tonight will not go home to neighborhoods in Williamsburg or Jersey City, where the rise in anti-Semitism creates a clear and present danger for the population. But most of you in this room. Have children or grandchildren in universities where the only acceptable bigotry is the anti-Semitism of our day, 
which is known as anti-Zionism. Pam, your rebuttal. First of all, thank you so much for saying you hope that I'm going to win. So <laughs> I'm really happy about that. And me too. I think it's really important for us to kind of have this long perspective. I'm a historian, and so I think that history informs our understanding of the present. We are definitely in a moment where anti-Semitism. It's been all over this conference. It is roiling our community. Yet I think what we fail to understand is to what extent it has made relatively minimal impacts in the wider world. So you look at what's happening on the college campus. I spent a lot of time on college campuses. I spent a lot of time talking to college presidents, to university faculty, to people who are studying this issue. There are many, many terrible incidents on campus. No way that I'm not going to recognize that. However, over 90% of our 18-year-olds would not be going to colleges and universities if they were under siege from anti-Semitism all the time, because we as Jewish parents wouldn't be sending our children there. When they're in their STEM classes, when they're in their business school classes, when they are engaged with their friends in most activities, they are not confronting anti-Semitism on a day-to-day -day basis. And everyone I talk to says, on the campus, the Hillel directors, that's the case day by day. Yes, there are terrible incidents, no question about it. And when they happen, like Mohammed El-Kurd's um, uh, tour this, uh, this spring, a noted anti-Semite was touring all around the major colleges, committed Jewish faculty, committed Jewish studies faculty, and committed students stand up, and we go to our administrators and we tell them that they need to intervene. Sometimes they do. On my campus, they did. He did not speak on campus, but at other places, they don't. So we need to be vigilant but that doesn't mean that the rising anti-Semitism is ending our golden age. It's a little bit like cancel culture. What worries mm -hmm. me about cancel culture aren't the instances of cancellation, right? People get canceled and then they, they recover their careers for one reason. It's the culture. It's the culture. That is the fear that so many people have in different walks of life that if they speak up, they are going to be canceled, which leads to a culture of silencing. And my sense is, sure, the incidents that reach the headlines, that get the attention of the Jewish press or the major press, are relatively few and far between. Why? Because people are shutting up. 63% of students on college campuses, according to Heterodox Academy, believe that their campuses are places where they cannot speak freely. And I say this only anecdotally because data is hard to come by, but all of you who have children or grandchildren at colleges know that that goes doubly so when it comes to conversations about Israel, when it goes to talking about their Jewish pride, their Jewish identity, and their Jewish political affinities. And what's so frightening, and this is what really, what really frightens me, which is that incidents which would be um, five alarm fires when they involved different ethnicities or different minorities are treated as trivialities when they involve Jews, except when a trustee gets involved or a philanthropic parent gets involved, and then it's sort of taken up. I'll give you one small example that I found so upsetting. After the anti-Semitic attacks of May of 2021, during the war, all of a sudden, a few people got it in them to say, well, you know, we oppose anti-Semitism. But all of these statements were couched in, we oppose transphobia, Islamophobia, this phobia, that phobia, anti-Semitism, and then six others. Right? This is the same culture that says, no, black lives matter, right? Let's focus on the hatred at hand. 
So notice the cultural double standard that when it comes to denouncing anti-Semitism, administrators, teachers, and the culture at large speaks sotto voce. When it comes to other forms of bigotry, they are loud and insistent. And that's a telling difference. Okay, but I would argue back that That, and I, and you're, you're right, I mean, I've seen a lot of those statements, but I would argue back that especially in the wake of AJC and Hillel hosting university presidents to talk about anti-Semitism, that that conversation is changing. I mean, I've seen signs of that conversation changing. So when we issued a statement condemning anti-Semitism on campus, because we'd had an issue where we had a Jewish student and a Muslim student plan a joint Pesach Iftar event, and the Muslim Student Association pulled out, the one I felt really badly for was that Muslim student who had planned it. We issued a statement opposing anti-Semitism, and we did not issue it under the rubric of all of these other things. So I think since May 2021, we are seeing the beginnings of a change. We are also seeing, and I talked to a lot of faculty who are involved with this, we are demanding that the diversity, equity, and inclusion programs on our campuses, that they introduce information about anti-Semitism and information about the Jewish people, that they've been ignoring that. You're absolutely right, but they are not going to continue to ignore it any longer. Okay. We are going to return to the question of anti-Semitism in a few minutes. At this time, I want to turn to some questions about the Jewish community as a whole, and I'm going to start with a question about demography. The 2020 Pew survey of Jewish Americans showed a community with a steadily shrinking center. American Jewry is becoming simultaneously more orthodox and more unaffiliated. The once large conservative and reform movements are contracting. And among American Jews who have gotten married since 2010, 61% are intermarried. While the offspring of intermarriages have become increasingly likely to identify as Jewish in adulthood, Still, this group remains far less affiliated and identified as a whole than the offspring of endogamous marriages. Does the picture of American Jewry from the Pew survey depict a community with its best days behind it? Start with Brett. What you have is a Jewish community. Let me put it this way. There are, my memory serves, there are 8.6 million Americans today as best as we know, because surveys of the Jewish population are very imprecise, and you never know which Jewish children grow up to choose to be Jewish adults. But as best as we know from the survey data, there are 8.6 million Americans today who had a Jewish parent. There are 4.3 million Americans who actively affiliate with a denomination, conservative, orthodox, or reform, and who participate in some meaningful way as Jews. So other than simply saying, oh yes, you know, my mom was Jewish, my dad was Jewish, that there's some meaningful content in their Jewish life. That's 4.3 million. This is a country that in my lifetime has grown from 211 million people to 330 million people, so essentially a third in the growth of demography, and yet the Jewish population has more or less remained stagnant, somewhere between five and seven million. The more dismaying aspect of it is, it seems to me, is that American Jewry is losing its vital center of affiliated and committed Jews who are somewhere in the middle between orthodoxy and indifference. And so what you're looking at now is a picture of American Jewish life in which American Jews are either entering the mainstream of American life and often disappearing into the mainstream, or they're more identifiably orthodox, which is a wonderful thing, a wonderful thing with one exception. It is the orthodox community that increasingly bears the brunt 
of visible and virulent anti-Semitism. And because of that, the nature of Jewish life in America is increasingly going to look like Jewish life in France, also up until about 30 years ago, a vibrant and important community that is increasingly under threat, where every single communal institution has to live under armed guard. By the way, just look at the amount of security, not just here, but every shul, every day school, and how it's increased in the last, uh, in the last uh, several years. And ask yourself, don't you feel a bit like the lobster that's getting boiled in the pot? Ooh. <laughs> okay. Tim. So what's prompting the question is how critical it is for us to have a denomination in the center, right? That's really what we're getting at. We watched the conservative movement, which was the movement that rose as our golden age was born in the 50s. We watched it rise to be the largest movement, and now we've watched it decline. The question is, do we need a center, a denominational center, when we know so many Jews are not affiliating with the denominations, the way, by the way, the rest of the American population is also, if you ask them what their religion is, they answer none. So do we need a vital center for American Judaism to continue its golden age? And I actually think not. I think I'm not writing off the conservative movement. There are one and a quarter million Jews in the conservative movement, and it will remain an important segment of American Jewry. But those 9,500 organizations that I mentioned, which was a figure that is guesstimated in 2010, so maybe there are more by now, maybe the decline of the center has allowed American Judaism to expand its range of opportunities and ways of identifying. And I'll name only two of the two new institutions that emerged, like Six and I, community center, but also an alternative congregation, and New York's Yeshivat Maharat, where Laura Shaw Frank used to work, and that there are scores of new Jewish institutions that have given voice to the American Jewish community, the museums, the podcasts. I would even mention your journals up here. <laughs> There's one bright spot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the statistics point to a changing Jewish community, not the end of the golden age. So, who won? You be the judge. But if you're still not sure, head to the link in our show notes to watch the entire debate unfold. And if you missed last week's episode, be sure to tune in for my conversation with AJC New England director Rob Lykand as he explains what's been done to counter the BDS mapping project and why it's dangerous for all Americans, not just the Jewish community. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC. Our producer is Atara Lakritz. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Or learn more at AJC.org slash People of the Pod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at AJC.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to tell your friends, tag us on social media with hashtag peopleofthepod, and hop on to Apple Podcasts to rate us and write a review to help more listeners find us. Tune in next week for another episode of People of the Pod.